Hello and welcome to 15 Years After the Fact, a podcast of opinions while rewatching Avatar. With a few facts thrown in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kevin. And we are here to discuss our rewatch of Chapter 15, Bato of the Water Tribe. Bato of the Water Tribe. Really great episode. We get um, a bit more backstory on really like the early beginnings of uh, Katara and especially Sokka's character. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's mainly... I would say mainly hesitantly, but mainly focused on Sokka's backstory. Yes, this episode uh, was mainly focused on Sokka and, you know, kind of his foundation as a character Mm -hmm. um, and is a glimpse into his past to kind of tell us what drives him and motivates him and kind of guides his moral compass, so to speak. Yeah, I, I appreciate that we get a lot more info and background on Sokka, mm-hmm. uh, like especially how he behaved in the very first couple episodes. Right. I just feel like this episode wasn't so great in how they decided to reveal that information and pace it out. Interesting. Um, I don't know. The pacing of this episode just didn't feel as like tight or, mm-hmm. you know, didn't flow as well as previous ones. It kind of just felt like, you know, little little brief flashbacks of like there's Sokka boop boop and then like go back to what's happening now and I don't know I I just feel like the way they placed those flashbacks didn't have as much impact as say the storm right you know yeah I think so um definitely maybe the sequencing and the flow of events in this episode did feel a little bit less smooth than usual. Um, Like you said, it seems like usually when we're about to get some kind of like important information about um, the background of a character, like you said with the storm, when we learn about Aang and Zuko's backstory, that was a great example of kind of like, you know, this dramatic storytelling where you're kind of slowly building, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And whereas with Sokka, we're really getting more like snapshots. Yeah, I I think that's a good point because um, in the storm, it really helped things flow along be- because of the back and forth, like, contrast of Zuko and Aang. Right, these and- two parallel stories. Mm-hmm. And like I said, like, they were just following very traditional, like, storytelling format that's just kind of like, here's the character, here's a little bit about them. Then there's some kind of event, you know, inciting mm-hmm. incident. Um, then there's, like, you know, a little bit of building action. And then there's the climax and then the falling action. And we yeah. got to see those, you know, in kind of really quick succession exactly so that's what i was gonna say i was like in the storm i felt like i got a much more complete you know picture yeah Mm -hmm. um uh we had a more complete story with zuko and ang uh even though it was the same length of episode Mm -hmm. and then this one it just i didn't feel like i got that much right like for zaka's backstory I, i i would just say though it's not huge because like unlike you know, Sokka, or unlike Zuko and Aang, Sokka doesn't really need that much. I feel like they do a really good job of informing his character and his motivations just through his overall actions so far. Yeah. You know? I think that's fair. Um, and I also agree that the, I think the biggest problem with this episode uh, is something you've been hinting at, and mm-hmm. I just figured out maybe how to put it into words as you were talking. Yeah, please. And it's that... It doesn't have a clear focus theme. Yeah, no, exactly. There isn't an, 
uh, this overarching plot thread between the A plot and the B plot. No, those don't connect at all. And even within the A plot, there's not a clear theme. Is it's supposed to be about Sokka. That's how it is built up at first, mm-hmm. but then it becomes about Aang and his problems of being isolated and feeling alone. Right, yeah. And then it kind of sort of circles back to Sokka and, like, you know, the importance they, they, of family. They tried, right? Because the whole idea that they were trying to tease at was, like, you know, Sokka and Katara's isolation from, like, their tribe mm-hmm. is what Aang is feeling. And then, like, the whole resolution to that was, like, oh, you know, we're a tribe now, right? Right. But and it just didn't feel as tight. Yeah, it, there yeah. wasn't, like, that kind of clear communication. It was yeah. just kind of like, oh, we're learning a little bit about Sokka, but oh, wait, no, it's going back to being about yeah. Aang. And then, like, yeah, there wasn't as clear of a connection. Yeah, the problem was that they were trying to... That was like a full episode's worth idea right there. Mm-hmm. Like if they just focused on Bato and the Water Tribe yes. and uh, the Abbey, mm-hmm. I think it would have been very solid. But then they had to simultaneously continue the season one plot of Zuko tracking down Aang because mm-hmm. it's been a while since he's been on their tail. Right. So that was like this totally separate thing that they had to catch up on just to serve the rest of the season. Yeah, it almost felt like they were trying to like... Frankenstein or Camel together, Mm -hmm. um, a bunch of interesting ideas into one episode, and all of it almost seemed like it was just serving as a vehicle to kind of be like, hey, what's going on with Katara and Sokka's dad, Mm -hmm. you know, and kind of like leave some interesting mystery there. It's all important information. It's just a shame they had to cram it into one episode. Yeah, it just kind of is uh, an awkward tasting fruit salad Mm -hmm. of stuff. That doesn't quite go together. Yeah. Yeah. So even though that is said, um, there's still a lot of cool stuff going on in this episode. Um, And I have tons of fast facts, you guys. Like, this episode, I think, had the most Avatar extras so far. Yeah, how many did they have? They had over 100. Oh, I see. Avatar extras. I limited it down. I cut, like, over half of them out. But still, and, like... I actually ended up, like, after I cut out a bunch of them, I went and did a deep dive on, like, June's character and stuff like that. And so I kind of lengthened it a little I bit I want to know more about June. She's I pretty interesting. I yeah. have a lot of information about her character. Yeah. And I know you have some information about her voice actress. Mm-hmm. So we have um, a lot of stuff about June, this kind of, you know, side character that's introduced in this episode. And... Um, I also even have some interesting uh, information about the setting Mm -hmm. that this kind of like episode takes place in. Um, So there's like interesting stuff going on. But again, like we said, it's just so much. Right. There's so much stuff. And hopefully we can make it a little bit more interesting and comprehensible as we go along. But how about we just dive into the episode? Right. So uh, the episode begins with Aang finding a whale's tooth sword in the ground. Yeah, they're all they're basically finding all the this aftermath of like clearly what was like some sort of skirmish on near a beach. Right. And mm-hmm. Sokka uh he hands it to Sokka and Sokka immediately has the first flashback of the episode. Yeah, little baby Sokka. Yeah, our first look at little baby Sokka yeah. and um he's like, you know, having this kind of uh moment right with his dad. Mm-hmm. And um so then he comes back to the present. And he starts playing detective. And he's just, like, looking around at the quote-unquote crime scene. You're seeing more skills that he kind of showed off in Jet in this episode. Yeah, kind of a little bit more, yeah. The tracking. The tracking and everything, yeah. So he sees, like, the signs that, like, Fire Nation were here because there's burns on the tree. Mm -hmm. And then, like, he's following the footprints. And he's like, there's a skirmish. And it went down to the beach. And then they get to the beach. And he's like, oh, well, the trail kind of goes cold here. But then it's like, oh, look, there's a boat over there. I don't know what he was following because, like, that battle must have happened a while ago and you would have thought the 
waves wash that away, but I guess. But you know, most of what it seemed like he was tracking was in the forest nearby. Yeah, I know. And then when he it got was just to the pointing beach, pointing towards the beach, and yeah. they found the longboat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, we get to see that kind of interesting little bit of like Sokka showing off his skills, and um, then I think it goes to Zuko's story, right? I don't think have they bumped into Bato right then? No. Okay. No. Yeah, so then we go over to our beeline story where um, Zuko is not being calmed by the calming tea that Iroh is forcing him to drink. He just splashes it all over his face. Um, And then immediately there is commotion on the ship, and they go out to check it out. And so we have the appearance of June. Yep, on this star-nosed mole panther this giant creature yeah and i really actually like the design of this creature um i have some fast facts that i'm just gonna sprinkle in i want to know about the creature because it's very interesting yes so the uh, creature that uh june is riding is called a sheer shoe Mm -hmm. how do they spell that uh s-h-i-r-s-h-u okay all right sheer shoe sheer shoe shoe. um and the design was based on star-nosed moles Um, And I have some, like, you know, world-building stuff related to this creature. So uh, the Avatar Wiki tells us that from before the time of Avatar Kyoshi, sheer shoes were used by Earth monarchs to execute their political enemies. But the creature stopped being seen in the wild at least a generation before Kyoshi was born and thus faded into legend. Hmm, interesting. So uh, Maybe you know this. Is June actually Fire Nation? She's Earth Nation. Oh, okay. But, but they just have that color palette with her, huh? Yes, because they actually made a point in talking about her character design. I mm-hmm. guess I'm going to reveal some of the fast facts. Now. I, I have That's a lot fine. of questions because I yes. always assume just because of, you know, character design and, you know, how strong that theming is in Avatar that she was Fire Nation. I definitely encourage people to look up her wiki page because mm-hmm. there's a lot of background information about her that's not even revealed Well, in the I, show. I know that a lot of it's in the comics, right? Yeah, a lot yeah. of it's in the comics. And, um, but what I can tell you is that, uh, she, uh, was Earth Nation. Her dad was Earth Nation. Um, mm-hmm. but they did mention in her Avatar Wiki page that she doesn't really, as a character, she doesn't see herself as having an allegiance to any nation clearly, or any group. Clearly, yeah. She is just, uh, like, you know, a mercenary for hire. Yes, mm-hmm. precisely, to the T. Yeah. And so she just kind of, like, goes wherever the money is. And I think that's probably a bit of what influenced her character design. I have other notes on influences for her design that I'll get to later. Um, But definitely kind of, yeah, trying to toe that line of like, you know, is she Fire Nation? Is she, you know, Earth Nation? Mm -hmm. It's unclear, right? And it's because like... So she just apparently has this rare Earth Nation critter. Yes. Yeah. Yes, she does. And I have information for my fast facts section at the end of the episode about where she got it. So, um, yeah, like I said, if you're really interested, go to the Avatar Wiki page for June. There's all kinds of cool information about her. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to the episode, um, we get to see June shows up uh, on this uh, sheer shoe mm-hmm. and she's causing all this commotion with this giant creature. And Zuko's like, what's going on? And, and she says that she's looking for a stowaway. Yeah. And Zuko's like, a stowaway? That's impossible. There's no stowaways on our ship. I really want to know what that person was thinking. <laughs> right, like, getting on a Fire Nation ship. He seemed like some schmuck, not like a soldier or anything. So I was just like, Whoa, or like a spy. He didn't seem like a spy. Mm-hmm. It's like, what was he thinking being on a Fire Nation ship? Granted, it's small and he probably didn't know it was Prince Zuko. Right. But still, that's like insane to me. I mean, this is pure speculation on mm-hmm. my point. Just going off the like 0.2 seconds of screen time the stowaway had. Yeah, it's not relevant at all after this. But- it really 
makes you wonder. Later on, we do see June kind of hanging out in some kind of tavern yeah. where there's gambling and stuff mm-hmm. happening. My theory is that he was a gambler who had a bunch of debt mm-hmm. that he like owed to somebody in the town, mm-hmm. and he was running away to get away Maybe from the June. creditors. Maybe June. Yeah, I don't know. And so he probably also was a bit of a drunk because there's a lot of drinking going on at that tavern. Mm-hmm. And so he probably just stumbled into the first ship so that he think, found. You, you think they're just in a seedy area and that guy was just like, I'm getting out of here. And, and yeah, yeah, maybe he also was like, if he wasn't in his right mind, just thinking like, she'll never check a Fire Nation ship. Maybe. I mean, I guess we don't really have to know. But again, this just is one of those elements of this episode that I feel is just like, I wanted a little bit more information, you know, yeah. a little more context. But I we don't say. have time. We don't yeah. have time. There's so much. No time. <laughs> There's no time. Just cut it out, right? And so June takes her stowaway, and she's out of there. She mm-hmm. ollies out, and um, the damage that she did in the process of getting the stowaway. <laughs> yeah, because she crashed into their ship and like ran out yeah, yeah. the like you yeah, know floorboards exactly to get into the hold. Yeah, yeah. and rip them out of there, and then like just ollies out, and Zuko's like the heck you know his poor ship how many times has it been wrecked and ruined um so we just get that quick cutaway and then um we get to see that iroh is intrigued by this mysterious woman Mm, very invested yeah uh but then we go back to our a-line plot um and we get to see a little bit more of baby Sokka Mm -hmm. in a flashback with his dad and you actually see his dad that's you know fully featured no silhouette we get to see his face yeah yeah still haven't seen zuko's dad's face but we get to see Sokka and Katara's dad Mm -hmm. and um, we have a really touching moment where right before he's about to leave with the rest of the men of the water tribe to go and fight in the war Mm, yeah because Sokka was trying to join them he had his war face on and everything but he was clearly young like he was at least younger than 14 right he was 13 because he's 15 now and they said they set off two years ago so he was just under the age limit which is probably for the best yeah he wasn't considered a man yet by the tribe's cultural Mm -hmm. ideas um so he had to stay behind and it was so cute he had like all his war paint on already Mm -hmm. but he was being told by his dad he had to stay behind and we had a really nice quote from his dad um, that says, being a man is being where you are needed the most. Mm-hmm. And this is something that has clearly stuck with Sokka. Yeah, and it's a bit of a the the idea they try to carry through this episode of Sokka and Katara and Aang's plot. Yeah, and like, where are you needed mm-hmm. most, right? And trying to fulfill that role. Um, so then we uh, get to, I think, have this run-in with Bato on the beach. Yep. And, uh, you know... Immediately, Katara and Sokka are just ecstatic. Bato! Yes, they're like, oh my gosh, it's him! Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Aang is just like, who? <laughs> Which is very, I think, notable because, like, not that they have always been on guard, but at this point, they usually tend to be a little bit suspicious mm-hmm. of most people, mm-hmm. unless it's, like, the fortune teller. Yeah. Um, but they were just immediately like, Bato! Yes. You know, buddy! Yeah, and so, like, they kind of had this, you know, a little reunion moment and mm-hmm. then like ang introduces himself and they're like we've been traveling with him kind of thing and then like he's like oh cool he just accepts it immediately yeah, because again I, there's no time mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and then they like, cut to the next scene where there's like i'll take you to the abbey where i'm like you know convalescing and healing yeah because and, he uh, explains really quickly like mm-hmm. if you're not paying attention you miss it but he explains that he got very badly injured in the fight that happened on that beach right um several i think weeks or months ago yeah and um he was so badly injured that he couldn't continue on with the rest of the group so uh uh, katara and Sokka's dad made the decision to leave him with the nuns in the nearby abbey so that he could heal and Mm -hmm. survive and then like as they cut to the abbey like apparently in between that scene like 
they had explained Aang as the Avatar, so then he introduces him as the Avatar. Yeah. Which was interesting. Again, no time. Yeah, no time. <laughs> we just speeding through this. Um, I, I have a quick question. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is Sokka and Katara's dad's name? Was it Hakoda? Hakoda, right? Oh, I don't remember here. Let me check yeah. real quick. Uh, do some narration while I look it up. It's okay. We just cut this out. Okay. Oh, his name's Hakoda. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I thought that was right. Yeah, so we have Bato, who is just kind of like this uncle-like figure. Yeah, it seems like uh, Hakoda and Bato were like... Best friends. Best friends. Yeah. And then... The, the people who got up to mischief. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we get to find out that um, at this abbey with these nuns, um, they uh, specialize in making oils and specifically perfumes. Yeah. What I nuns are said, doing making they, perfumes, uh, I don't... I think that's a real thing. Really? Yeah. I've never heard of it. Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure, yeah, like, um, Abbey's, like, female-focused monasteries, instead of, like, you know, the men who made beer and wine and stuff, they would make the perfumes. Really? Yeah. Stuff Was like it that. Was like, so they could have some kind of income? Yeah. Oh, all right. Because they're like cultivating like, you know, herbs and flowers and stuff. I mean, yeah, I did have an idea that people who went into, um, you know either being a nun or mm-hmm. being a priest that uh, a lot of times they did study in like, um, you know, herbs. Some sort of art artisan kind yeah. of thing. Usually yeah. like healing and medicine mm-hmm. stuff. And um, so I was aware of that, but I, I had, until this moment, I hadn't heard of them like making perfume. I'm pretty sure I've, I've read that separately. I believe you. I haven't looked it up prior to this recording. So, but yeah, so that is what they're doing there. Um, and this is an, important plot point for Mm -hmm. later you know important detail uh but we you know skip ahead after a little introductions to where bato is staying in this abbey and he's already decked out from you know floor to ceiling uh making it really homey Uh, right he has his whole like tent in the room yes you know in the back yeah and then like you know entire place is just covered in animal pelts yeah where he got all those animal pelts i don't know well, I mean, you got to stay warm in the, the South Pole. Yeah, I know. But he brought all of those with him. Mm-hmm, he just took it out from the boat. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Well, anyway, he's he's totally decked it out. And we kind of have this funny moment where, you know, Aang, the vegetarian, is uncomfortable mm-hmm. <laughs> because he's like, what's better than dead animal skins? Yeah, that was a very interesting <laughs> line. And uh, I was like, oh, makes sense. He's a vegetarian. Yeah. So he's probably very uncomfortable mm-hmm. right then. Um, so, uh, in addition to not really loving the decor, uh, he also doesn't really love this classic water tribe delicacy that Bato has prepared called mm-hmm. sea prunes. It seems a little bit like a struggle food. Yeah. You know, it's like one of those things that, uh, people who grew up with it are super nostalgic Acquired for. Acquired taste. Yeah, but it's not really a, uh, um, it doesn't seem like a, it doesn't seem like a, um, you know, a, uh meal that you just have because it tastes good right an acquired taste yeah um so but they're enjoying it and ang's not um and so he's just kind of hanging out in the background and mm-hmm. you can he's see clearly him. trying to relate and like yeah, pitch in and but he's then, just the you know third yeah. wheel or in this case the fourth wheel um and he just can't be a part of this you know inner group kind of conversations that they're having the moment that really hurt me personally was when like Bato is talking to Guitar and Sokka, and then he's just like, oh, Aang, uh, please, please don't touch that. And then you cut to Aang, yeah. who's putting on that thing from the wall. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, the way that voice actor, that tone, I was like, oh, it feels like 
you know, a real scolding from an adult when you're a kid. You know what I mean? Right. But I mean, I also understand where he's coming from, because like you said, it's like, you know, ceremonial. It's very ceremonial and delicate. Yeah, I get it. It's just like that moment is just like, I think that's a moment everybody can relate to. Yeah. Just feeling kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Crummy. Mm -hmm. Um, So Aang decides to kind of just slink off into the darkness because he's just feeling really left out. And um, he goes and mopes on the beach a little bit and perches on the... Well, you forgot that, like, (laughs) um, as he's... He left uh, as they were talking and, like, uh, they're discussing whether or not Sokka and Katara want to stay. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, and before that, even, um, I'm so sorry, I did jump ahead. We go back to our B plot a little bit. Mm -hmm. So um, while they're having this, you know, moment of reuniting and talking with Bato a bit in his, you know, pelt room, uh, we go back to our B plot where we see June in a tavern. Um, and she's arm wrestling with a gentleman who looks remarkably like a video game yeah, character. Suspiciously like Ryu from Street Fighter. <laughs> I, it would have it would have been one thing if he was just wearing like a white, you know, karate outfit. Or a red headband. Yeah, and a red headband. But he also had the gloves. Yeah. Which is like all of that together is like, okay, that's clearly Ryu. It's a clear direct yeah. reference. Like they just don't even try to hide. I think it was just something like a little ha-ha thing for the artist. Yeah, definitely. And just like, oh, look at this. She beat Ryu in an arm wrestling match. She's so strong. So strong. Right. Yeah. So she um, beats him, uh, seems like quite easily. Mm-hmm. And uh, then all these coins drop down um, from on high, yeah. I guess, uh, because she won the you know, competition. The test of strength. And uh, Zuko walks up right then. Well, actually kind of storms in. Mm-hmm. And he's just kind of like, you know, hey, you know, you you got to pay for the damage to my ship that well, you caused. he says, step aside, filth. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot that line. That was oh, pretty funny. Oh, that was so good. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. That was, man, what a classic sometimes, pompous prince. Yeah, sometimes his princely side really comes out of him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's already kind of miffed because his ship got all messed up and everything like that. And uh, now he's in a tavern, a seedy tavern mm-hmm. with a bunch of drunks. I was having to assure them. They're like, oh, he, he knows you guys bathe. It's fine. <laughs> trying his best to smooth things over mm-hmm. um but yes so after that he walks up to june and uh he's like demanding that you know she repay him for the yeah. damage to his ship and she kind of like you know very sassily is just like sorry i'm a bit short on money right now and she's surrounded by gold yeah. coins and then, and then she's, she's like drinks for everyone yes yeah so she clearly has a bit of an alcohol problem but whatever mm-hmm. um and so zuko you know it's not taking no for an answer so he grabs her by her wrist and just says like you know um i didn't say you're gonna pay me back with money you know kind of thing if we just cut that section out that would have been out of context that scene is it's pretty uh, creepy it's creepy and risque yeah it's like if somebody was shipping zuko in june that's the part they cut out to put in their amv (laughs) yeah yeah i guess so um or if you're really trying to make zuko look like a creep Mm -hmm. you cut that scene out of context uh but he takes uh june outside of the tavern to talk to her a bit more um and they uh at first he kind of tries to threaten her you know um just being like you owe me for the damage to my ship and everything like that and but i'll forgo what you owe me if like you help me find this person mm-hmm. and then i of course he doesn't specify he's looking for the avatar 
guitar. No, so. he just says like he shows her a necklace and June makes this joke that's going to be a recurring joke she makes throughout the episode where she's like, what is that your ex-girlfriends? I mean, it is jewelry, so. <laughs> and notably, like Zuko does not respond to that, I think. I think he just kind of like goes on to say like, um, you know, it's, it's not the girl I'm yeah. after. It's the monk that she's traveling with. Zuko's thought about it. Zuko's thought about it. <laughs> He's had that necklace on him this whole time. But anyway, uh, so Iroh can see this, like, you know, moment deteriorating. June looks like she's going to run off. So really quickly, he says, uh, we'll pay you your weight in gold. And that gets June's attention. So again, we can see she's just all about the money. I really wonder how much gold they have, because if he was being literal, that is a lot of money. I mean, he's literally royalty. That's true. I just don't know how much they carry with them on the ship. Well, they probably aren't carrying much on the ship. But uh, I think the idea is, like, if they bring back the Avatar... Maybe so. Then they can pay her. Maybe so. Um, but anyways, so, you know, she's just like, all right, I'm in, kind of thing. And uh, then we get to go back to our A-plot. So that's the moment where we get to see, yeah, Bato offering to reunite the kids with their dad because he's about to leave the abbey to go and find him and he's just waiting for a messenger to show up right. with news i'm surprised he didn't lead with that info honestly yeah i know right um i guess they were just so busy reminiscing yeah catching as, like up. Sokka and katara badger him with questions about their the, bato and their father's youth yes and their adventures i don't think i've ever seen a kid who's just been like tell me about my parent when they were young <laughs> well i mean we didn't we didn't have cool parents rachel i guess so yeah. We didn't have parents that put an octopus on their head and pretend to be a water spirit. <laughs> I guess so. Um, but so we have this classic moment of Aang hearing that and then just dejected, kind of slinks out of the room. Um, and it's a classic, you know, missing the important last part of the conversation. Again, that's uh, what was it called? Situational irony? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, or maybe it's, I think it's like dramatic irony. Dramatic irony. That's the one. That's yeah. Where the you one. as the audience get some information that the character doesn't. And you're just like, no, Aang, you fool. Yeah. So um, Aang leaves before he can hear Sokka and Katara say, oh, we'd love to see our dad, but we need to go with Aang. You know, he needs us to help get mm -hmm. to the, you know, North, North Pole. North Pole. So, um, but he doesn't get to hear that part. So he just goes off and mopes on the beach. <laughs> right next to the longboat for some reason. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I think it was mostly just for the way that it looked kind of cool for him to be perched up on that Probably. top part of the, you know. Boat. The boat's very symbolic of the episode, but again, doesn't feel very strongly connected. Yeah, it's kind of just there. Yeah. But um, while he's kind of like, you know, moping on the beach, just being like, they're going to leave me behind. Then um, an Earth Nation messenger runs up uh, and says, do you know where I can find Bato of the Water Tribe? And, uh, you know, Aang is like, oh, yeah, like, uh, I've met him earlier. I don't know what he says. But anyways, the guy just the gives interaction the is like super fast. Yeah, and it's, it's just it, it. And then I was thinking, like, w this guy did not vet Aang at all. No, he did not. I he mean, was just like, mm, yeah, bald kid. I trust you. Granted, I don't know how much money they paid this guy or what the connection is. But he was. Yeah, like, it was weird that he just didn't ask him, like, where can I find him? You know, mm -hmm. and then like go that way. He clearly does not have pri much pride for his job. He was just like, and I'm gone. I'm not going to make sure it gets to the guy I'm actually looking for. It's late. I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go home now. Got to feed my horse bird. Yeah. So I'm out of here. Anyway, so he gives this messenger, uh, you know, note to Aang who opens it up, breaks the law, reading someone else's mail, mm -hmm. a series of bad choices here where he sees that it's um, the map to where um, Hakoda is, mm -hmm. and he immediately crumples it up and puts it in his little jacket. His little mantle thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently there's a pocket in there. 
I swear he just kind of jams between his shirt and the mantle and the shoulder or something. Just you like, think so? Yeah. I guess that's why it falls out later. But um, so you can just like you feel that moment of like seeing him do that. And be like, no, Aang. You know? Do you think when they were doing the scene, they were just like, oh, we didn't design Aang with pockets. Yeah, right. <laughs> Where do I we feel put like it? He has pockets in his pants. I guess it wasn't important enough for his pants pocket. <laughs> I know. Yeah, or maybe they don't have pockets because they're not supposed to have worldly possessions. Maybe it's true. Can't have worldly possessions if you have nowhere. That, now you're thinking. Now you're thinking like an Avatar writer. Justification right there. Yes, I'm making the justification for them. Anyway, so back to our B plot for like a hot minute, where we get to see um uh, our crew of June, uh, who has Zuko and Iroh tagging along as she is um tracking Katara's scent with the smell from her necklace, uh, and we are getting to go back through some of right. the recent scenes um and settings of the previous episodes. Right. Because several episodes ago, you know, Zuko and Iroh had lost their trail, you yes. know. So now they're actually catching up with the episodes, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, so we get to see them uh, first run through the abandoned city of Taku, mm-hmm. where um, Aang had to the leave. The crazy apothecary lady and the blue spirit happened. Yes, the blue spirit happened and Katara and Sakura got sick and everything like that. Um, and then a little while after that, they also are going Wait, to... We're not going to talk about how the crazy lady was just like, Miyuki, did you get in trouble with the Fire Nation again? <laughs> Miyuki just... Yes. I love whenever Miyuki shows up she's hilarious and so is that crazy old woman i still like ship her with boomy because i think they would be the kookiest old couple you know what i mean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. anyway um so i think that we just see that for a moment and then we cut yeah, back to they, the a plot they just, yeah they go straight back yeah so we go back to the a plot again the pacing of this episode's just like you just know. one thing after another, and it just, yeah, it's really mashed together. Um, so then we, you know, see Aang trying to continue covering up his tracks, while there's also this story of going along where it's like, oh, Sokka never got to become a man because he never got to do this rite of passage. Right, because he was 13, and then all the men left, so he never got to do the manly trial. Yeah, so uh, I think it's like the ice dodging trial yeah, or something like that. they call it ice dodging. Yeah, and so he never got to do that, so Bato, you know, being the uncle figure that he is it's like we can do it now with my ship mm-hmm. and uh but Bato, there's no ice <laughs> yeah and then he's like it's okay we'll use the rocks these deadly deadly rocks <laughs> as ice. they pan across the rocks and there's also just a crash ship in there just for good measure yeah just and i personally really was nervous because i reminded you back in episode one like Sokka was in that little kayak thing with right. katara and he did not dodge the ice he did not dodge the ice and he wrecked that ship and they were stranded until like Aang showed up. Yeah, they had no plan to go back until <laughs> yeah. Aang showed up. So I was like, oh God, Sokka's gonna kill everyone. So, um, but Bato is just but kind of like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. But apparently Sokka's really sharpened his uh, sailing skills while flying Appa, I guess. Shrug? I don't know. <laughs> um, I think maybe the real message is like when the stakes are actually high, Sokka comes through. Yeah, of course. He's a smart dude. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, Sokka's in charge of steering the ship and kind of like you know being the leader telling mm-hmm. everyone else what to do um katara is in charge of the main sail yeah. and then ang is in charge the of the jib the little sail yeah. yeah and um so he's kind of like directing them as they're trying to make it around like this craggy area of the bay mm-hmm. and um you know they have some cool claws uh it's a really fast-paced scene and i know that's partially for the drama 
Um, but they make it through uh, up until they reach a point where right. it's just like a solid wall of rocks. Yeah. Real rule of threes going on in the scene where like they do two, uh, you know, treacherous dodges and then the wall of rocks. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just kind of like crazy, like furious bending. Um, but I did like also want to mention that another place that Zuko revisits uh, with uh, June um, while they're like following Katara's tracks as they go to the fortune teller, uh, you know, episode last yeah, episode yeah. Aunt um, Wu. Uh, called uh, Makapu Village where Aunt Wu is. Um, and we get to have a little moment of Aunt Wu flirting with Uncle Iroh. <laughs> I, I I love that Aunt Wu was like completely unfazed by this giant monster in her face and was just like, want a fortune there, handsome? She was just like, I almost died from a volcano last mm-hmm. week, you know? I'm telling you, is this another clue of like her being kind of like semi actually looking into the future? Because I maybe she was just expecting a giant beast to pop out at her. Maybe, or maybe, you know, that's just like the image she needs to maintain mm. of just not being surprised by Again, anything. A thinker. Yeah. Um, and we have a moment at 12 minutes, three seconds. I really like this line from Iroh, even though it's kind of tongue in cheek. It's also kind of like when you think about oh. it, very dark. Yeah, it's pretty dark. And he says, like, uh, when Aunt Wu is like, hey, handsome, want me to, you know, read your fortune? Uh, he looks at her and says, all sly, at my age, there is only one big surprise left, and I'd much rather leave it a mystery. He's talking about dying. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's old. <laughs> I, I think that kind of flew over my head as a kid because he's smiling during that scene. Yeah, and it's very, you know, it's, it's just very, very flirty and yeah. sassy and yeah. And he's like, all right, bye. Yeah. I'm and, going to my death sometime. Yeah. <laughs> but as an adult, you watch that and you're like, oh, Iroh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty dark. <laughs> dark humor. Um, so... Uh, and I also wanted to point out that I, another quote I wrote down was, um, when they were getting ready to, uh, have Sokka do this, uh, trial of ice dodging, uh, you know, of course, kind of trying to hint at part of the theme, I guess, of this episode, um, Bato looks at Aang and he's like, your position is about trust. Oh, right. Yes, we skimmed over that. And then he gets that guilty look on his face. Yeah. So it's like, apparently part of this episode is about trust and making sure that you don't betray the trust of people close to you. Yeah. See, again, it felt like they were having Aang have his own little mini episode. But it didn't connect with everything else that was going on. Right. And also like, yeah, what was going on with Zuko, it's like, I guess, you know, it serves a purpose in that he catches up with the Avatar. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, his story is just continuing the season plot. Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, they're trying to intertwine it with this episodic plot. Yeah, and it just doesn't mesh super well. Um, But as we said, uh, Sokka, you know, finishes the trial, uh, but the last part, he comes across a rock wall. Yeah, and And then Bato is like... (laughs) Um, I, I think I you, this. I think you proved your point, Sai. We can just, you know, turn and leave. <laughs> You've already proven yourself please, as a man. Yeah. Please don't smash my ancestral heirloom <laughs> boat my father made. And Sokka's like, no, we're gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the moment Bato knew he had lost control. <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, I'm, this kid's gonna kill me. <laughs> yeah. Bato just sweating. <laughs> but, um, no, he actually does come up with a great plan where he just has a Katara and Aang bending furiously. Right, using their strengths. Yeah, so yeah. she's bending the water and Aang's bending the, the air to help the sail. Kind of lift the sail. Yeah, yeah, and lift the boat sort of too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they make it over the rock wall and they have this like, you know, triumphant moment. And then uh, we get to have a nice little post-ceremony um, 
kind of wrapping it up where uh you know they have Bato putting markings yeah and Bato on... honors them with like their strengths yes and kind of just like you know uh crowning Sokka as being like a man now having mm-hmm. overcome the trial and also just kind of celebrating you know his team and yes. helping him uh, so Sokka gets kind of like a little uh, eye it shape. It looks like an eye shape. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like a half crescent with a dot mm-hmm. um, and it's like you know this is a symbol of like you know wisdom, wisdom. so he's like Sokka the wise. Right again like piggybacking off in the last episode really cementing the whole like Sokka's you know science logical a thinker you know mm-hmm. critical planner yeah yeah uh, and then uh, he says I think like same as your father right so this is like the same you know notably we skipped title. over it earlier but he also said something similar when Sokka cracked a bad joke and he's like you have the same wit as your father I see <laughs> yes you like that moment yeah. a lot um, but then Katara <laughs> she gets a little like moon crescent on mm-hmm. her forehead uh, with the mud Make yeah, sure. a little paint. Yeah, uh, and he calls her Katara the Brave. You know what? Thinking about it now, that makes a lot of sense since like the Water Tribe's imagery is so connected with the moon, and yeah. they, the Benders draw their power from the moon. Yeah. Oh, so, I was not surprised by that yeah. imagery being inserted at all, especially so, knowing how the season ends. Right. Exactly. That's what I was gonna say. So just like, oh, it makes a lot of sense that like a brave warrior or a brave person is marked with the moon. Right. Yeah. And then finally, we come to Aang, and he just gets a little Simba. You know, you know a little. Mark arc. a little like kind of line yeah. across his forehead, and he calls him Ang the Trusted, mm-hmm. and that kind of breaks Ang because he's just dealing with all this conflict and guilt, and so it forces him to confess to what he's done, which is you know hiding the message uh, from their dad, mm-hmm. and uh, Sokka is furious, and Katara also seems pretty sad. And maybe even a little bit angry. Disappointed. And so the ride I'm or die ang- team. Katara's like, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Right? Like, yeah. that's the look on her face. Yeah. But yeah, so the ride or die team dies. Yeah. And <laughs> Bato just, just like leaves with them with the map and just like, all right. Yeah, yeah. he seems kind of awkward. Like, it, you can kind of tell that he thinks that they should maybe patch things up. And, you know, he can kind of tell that maybe actually they should stay with Aang. Yeah. But notably, he doesn't force his view on them. He's just kind of like, Okay, well, we're going, kind of thing. So, but he he gets them there in the end. uh, Because, you know, as they're walking along, they hear a wolf howling in the distance. Mm -hmm. And uh, Katara's like, you know, oh, is that like, you know, a wolf? Is it injured? And then Bato turns on them and says, no, it's been separated from its tribe. You know, and it's crying out in loneliness. And so we have, you know, Sokka thinking back on his dad's advice of being where you're most needed. And he kind of, you know, comes to the realization. Aang's my tribe right now. Yeah. He's Aang's, where I'm most needed. Aang's where we're uh, most needed. Yeah. And so he decides, okay, we're going to go back. And Katara just goes along with it. Because you this know, episode's not about Katara. Yeah, going back, <laughs> it does feel... Um, I understand why they got upset and they left immediately. Uh, but it does feel a little, a little bit out of character. Because I feel like if it were any other episode, they would have a little bit more of a back and forth discussion about... There's no time. Happened. There's no time. <laughs> They're like, we're angry and we're gone. <laughs> I'm telling you, so many of these interactions, yeah, they, they feel like they should be fleshed out more, but there's no time. Yeah. <laughs> we just like, we'll do it live. <laughs> <laughs> so they just 
they just cut it out. Um, so uh, Sokka and Katara try to make their way back. Now the B plot is intersecting with the A plot because mm-hmm. June shows up having tracked down Katara's scent mm-hmm. and um, corners Katara and Sokka. Bato, I think, has already taken off. And um, Well, yeah, because they had turned back to go yeah, to Yeah, they Aang. turned back. Yeah. Um, so uh, he's gone from the scene before this happens. But um, they're cornered, and then like June delivers this amazing burn to Suko. <laughs> Where she's still going with the joke that she thinks that Katara is, like, Zuko's ex-girlfriend. And so she just says, like, oh, so this is your girlfriend? Mm, I can see why she left you. She's too pretty for you. I know, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, dang. Like, he already got a burn on his face. Now he has a burn on Zuko his Zuko continues arc. to ignore her. Yeah, I know. It's just, man, oh, so rough. Um, but yeah, like it was, I always thought it was weird how like they just have the little bit of paper that Aang had, you know, been holding before fall out of their bag. Yeah. It felt a little contrived. And then the, you know, uh, the sheer shoe is like, Oh, I'm going to sniff this without any direction. And then it's like, like June's just like, he's tracking the avatar scent. Right. Yeah. Cause like like June was just like, (laughs) he's looking for a new target and it was just like, Oh, did you, did you tell him earlier? To find the scent of the avatar. Again, it's just a moment where they're like, I guess we have no time to do like the couple seconds of like dialogue where she picks up something of Aang's and is like, here, check yeah. this. They're like, no time. Or to discuss like, <laughs> oh, maybe this has Aang's scent or anything like that. Yeah. No, yeah. they don't make time for that. They're just kind of making it up as they go. We'll do it live. <laughs> so they keep going. I'm sorry. I'll stop my stupid joke. Uh, but... Um, so they start following Aang's scent now, uh, and it leads the, uh, sheer, sheer, sheer shoe, shoe, thank you, uh, back to the Abbey. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of going around and around in circles. And Aang's done this little clever thing with his glider where he's done like this kind of. He's just flying around in circles. In circles up into the sky where they couldn't see them until right in the moment when he drops down on them. And then a fight scene ensues. And it is interesting. I had feelings about this, but maybe you could explain. Well, uh, since you are our martial art, you know, expert, residential well, yeah, expert, quote, quote, expert. Yes. Um, the way I explained it to Rachel, you know, as because we both felt that this fight scene between Zuko and uh, Aang was a little bit stiff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the choreography, In parts. yeah. In other parts, it flowed well, but it just like wasn't cohesive. I, I just meant like the very first like tussle mm-hmm. on the floor of the Abbey. Yeah, because that part definitely felt like this was just a performance fight. Like yeah. they weren't really, they didn't have the same speed and fluidity as the other episodes of like trying to actually strike or capture each other. Yeah, it looked almost like they were intentionally trying to not hit each other. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like you see in a kind of fake fight. It felt like that. Um, but yeah, so but. Interestingly enough, like, one cool part of this fight is that Appa gets in on the action. Yeah, apparently this is the first uh, episode that Appa actually participates in a fight. Even and though he's he been... participates heavily. Yeah. He is, like, apparently this giant animal has showed up, this sheer shoe, and he is just like, all right, only one big animal is allowed in the yeah. ring. It, it does kind of feel like they just had Appa, like, uh, participate because it just felt unfair if they had a big animal. Yeah, so it's like, okay, our big animal's gonna fight Pokemon battle. Let's go, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> um, but, yeah, And, like, so- Appa just, like, rams the sheer shoe with yes! Zoom in it into a wall. Listen, Appa, like, so many of his moves, he, he looks like he's just trying to kill everyone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like just having another big animal there is so threatening to him that he just goes into attack mode, and he's just destroying everything. These poor nuns, their abbey is getting they wrecked. They get messed up. Like, <laughs> June falls off the sheer shoe, and then Appa, like, 
tries to like smash her and it like cracks Dude. the tile. I was like, you remember, I was like, oh my god. Yeah. Like, I couldn't remember th- like this before, but yeah, Appa tries to, like, smush in her skull, yeah, basically. Yeah, she could have literally died. She would have, man, that would have been, like, an like, top ten, like, anime death, because, like, it was intense. But yeah, so Appa's doing all that stuff, um, and we forgot to mention, uh, 19 minutes, 22 seconds, uh, after that first kind of awkward brawl between uh, Zuko and Aang, it kind of like explodes, and we get to see uh, Zuko face plant. Yeah. Right every on top time, of the, the roof. Every time Zuko fa- uh, fights Aang, he just gets like slammed against a wall or something. Like a ragdoll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but he recovers from it pretty quickly, and then he runs over to the other top of the other roof that Aang fell on, mm-hmm. and and, uh, you know... This was a good scene. This is when it started getting good. Yeah, this is when the choreography kind of went up a tick. Yeah. And was like, there was a bit more, um, you know, expert camera work happening. That's what I was going to say, because that was another part of the earlier segment where it felt flat was because you just... The camera was, wasn't moving. It just stayed wasn't in moving. one spot. It was just a horizontal flat shot. Yeah. Yeah. And something that you need to keep in mind is if you're trying to make a visual, you know, fight feel dynamic, especially in like TV or movies, you need to use a lot of angles. Yeah. You need to have the camera constantly moving to kind of show that drama. Right. And that action. To accentuate the speed and yeah. like the strikes. So it got a little bit better on this. And I also appreciated visually they did a bit of mirroring, mm-hmm. right? Because first Zuko runs across the top. And tries to do like a little fire whip slice thing yes. along the rooftop. And Aang like, you know, misses it. And we get this cool camera angle following him as he jumps over Zuko. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, he blasts Zuko and he basically uses the same move but airbending yep. against Zuko. And so like that, I thought that was really cool. Um, um, so again, the fight got a little bit better, even though it started kind of awkward. Um, and then, you know, at 20 minutes, 28 seconds, huge tail flap. Right. Appa <laughs> actually uses airbending. I guess it's less airbending and just blowing, you know. I think there's airbending because he like, like destroys that building. It, it probably is airbending because I think air bisons were the ones who, you they, know. Yeah, they were the, the ones that taught. that taught airbending. Yeah. But yeah, so Appa is like ready to kill because it makes a perfect circle like cut out of that roof yeah Yeah. who was he even aiming for was it Zuko I think so yeah anyways so and we get this funny moment at 20 minutes 31 seconds with Sokka do you want to tell the joke yeah just like Sokka because Sokka and Katara have been paralyzed this whole time since they were captured yes and Sokka and Katara apparently just got tossed against the wall just sitting there Mm -hmm. Sokka is like oh I think I'm starting to get some feeling back Mm -hmm. and then just yeah, the, the debris. debris. <laughs> yeah, the debris just falls on him, and then he's just kind of like, oh, oh, "Never mind, <laughs> that hurt," you yeah. know. Um, and then also another random insert of a joke was at Again, twenty minutes forty eight seconds with Uncle Iroh. This whole like fight scene encapsulates the. I think the true theme of the episode, which is there's just no time. There's no, no time, time. And we there's so <laughs> much going on. We and put none a of more it, in there. None of it has anything to do with anything else, really. Yeah. It's like over here, we have Sokka like, having a pathetic moment of getting hit with some debris. Over here, we have, you know, Zuko June. And Aang yeah, well, Zuko and Aang fighting. Over here, we have June, like almost getting her face smashed in by Appa. Yeah. And then over here, we have Iroh stealing perfume from the <laughs> Yeah, this episode, Ira was truly, like, a pervy, like, <laughs> skeevy old man. He felt like a classic anime old man, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like in a lot of 90s anime, like, the old men were always, like, like yeah, pervy and kind of skeevy mm-hmm. and, uh, 
like themes. maybe con- yeah concerned with money or something yeah and he was just like that kind of stereotype to a t and so um yeah we have that going on um and yeah we got to see some you know dynamic angles later on in the fight um like at the well, you know, yes. at, uh, at about 21 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you want to break that I, scene I down? I like this whole scene. So once um, Zuko and Aang come back to the floor after their whole roof uh, fight, mm-hmm. um, they end up at the Abbey well. And it's like a little covered, like, well. And uh, I was telling her, Rachel, this this fight felt uh, very Jackie Chan-esque because Aang's using the well as an object to, you know, distract and... Uh, dodge Zuko's attack and he's just doing this crazy little like grapples on the well yeah like, and he's poles. basically doing a different position every yeah. like second Zuko's literally playing whack-a-mole with Aang yes. in the well using firebending yeah but really using his surroundings well yes that that's when fights are very interesting to watch just mm-hmm. from um like a filmic standpoint yeah because there's no point to a fight if they're just, you know, punching each other. Yes. To make it interesting, they have to use their environment, right? right? So then as they're fighting, Zuko takes out the 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 roof of the well mm-hmm. and they end up dancing on top of it and I was like, "Okay, this is another moment that's like classic like, you know, Chinese wuja like kung fu film, you yeah. know, where it's like there's really no reason for them to be like dancing on top of this well but it is like realistically they wouldn't be no but it is so interesting to watch and you can see the footwork you know Mm -hmm. really grounded in reality showing that um artistry and martial arts yes right yeah and um this is like yeah a moment at the well where like the camera actually is pretty stationary Mm -hmm. for like this scene but it works yes because the intrigue is in the environment and them using it It, yeah compared to the the beginning of the fight where the stationary thing was just like yes because they were just trading blows and it didn't feel very action. Yeah. yeah. So I almost wondered, I was like, did someone else like choreograph the first part of this fight? Maybe. It's an, I don't know, man. Uh, it, it, it was strange how it started off kind of stiff, but really got into its groove. As this, it went on. Yeah. yeah. So um, then uh, we get to see this cool um, dynamic move at 21 minutes, 30 seconds. Um, I'm sorry. Right before that, uh, Aang grabs the necklace, uh, the oh, Katara's yeah. necklace. In the well, and he does a flip. Yeah, and he, he does like... a flip, and he grabs it with his foot. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't grab it with his hand. He, like, you know, secures it around his toe, and then, like, you know, Yanks flips it in out, the air. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, we also have that cool moment, right, when he's, like, uh, he dives into the well, and Zuko tries to firebend after him, but he uses the water in the well, and, like throws it back up at Zuko and he like lands again, really cool on the ground. Again, what is a well but a giant water bucket? Yeah. Right? Water buckets against firebenders. Yeah, it's kind of stupid that Zuko thought he could win at that. Yeah, but. trying to throw fire down a well. Yeah, so the fight ends at 21 minutes, 30 seconds where Zuko gets a second face plant and then rapidly thereafter, um, you know, June um, like gets taken out because Sokka in the background has been having this plan once he got, you know, hit the feeling back where he talks to the nuns and he um, uses his wisdom mm-hmm. and he's like, let's use the perfume to confuse that, you know, thing. I don't think it can see with anything but its nose. Mm-hmm. And so the nuns take out their big barrels of perfume and they like pour them everywhere. And um, we get to see again, um, we've seen shots of this yeah. throughout the episode. And I'm sorry I didn't mention it, but there are scenes where we get to see the world from the sheer shoes point of view. Yes. The and Everything's very black and white, but we see, yeah, like the colors from the smells Mm -hmm. uh, that it's tracking. And um, yeah, so in this moment, right, like uh, we can see like everything becoming blurred um, and like this rainbow. As it's overwhelmed with this different sense. Yes. 
this, again, this moment, if this episode had been more tightly focused on Sokka, I think would have been um, larger because right. it does feel like it would have connected with him being marked as like, you know, the wisdom, mm-hmm. right? And a leader. Yeah, but it just gets glossed over. Which It's is lost huge. in everything yeah. else that's going on. It gets pretty sad. Yeah. So, you know... Anyway, um, so the Shushu like goes crazy and you know um, starts smacking people with yeah. its paralyzing tongue. So it you know smacks Zuko. He's and it down. Gets June. And it gets June by accident. And, and then- I was like, no, June, I'll <laughs> save you. Forget my nephew. <laughs> and he throws himself to like dramatically capture, uh, like hold her. And um, you know that's kind of like the end for them, I mm-hmm. guess. Zuko's like. Uncle, I don't think I saw you get paralyzed. <laughs> yeah. just like, shh. It's just like letting June lay on top of him. Yeah. Because June's just pissed. And then Aang and like Katara and Sokka really quickly make up. And mm-hmm. then they just ollie out of there and leave the nuns, I guess, to clean up their own mess yeah, of an like, abbey. Bye, deal with Zuko. <laughs> yeah, they just leave. They just leave. Um, but yeah, so we get to see, um, you know, them having a bit of reconciliation when they're riding away on Appa. And, uh, you know, Aang gets to give back the necklace mm-hmm. to Katara. You get the, the, the nice, soulful Kalimba music. Yes, we uh, have to do that whenever the episode is, like, having a nice emotional moment. Mm-hmm. Um, especially at the end of the episode, right? And uh, so, yeah, Sokka's being like, you're our tribe and you're, you know, you need us more. And then, yeah. You had something you wanted to say yeah, about this last gonna scene. Yeah, I was going to say when uh, Aang gives Katara the... The necklace back, he was just like, I see oh, it on you know, your face. Yeah. I know what you want to say. <laughs> uh, Zuko had it. You wanted to give it to you. And uh, Katara. They have this flirtatious moment yeah, where they're like Sok- being. Er, Katara silly. is clearly being sarcastic. Yes. And um, Aang, Aang is also like, you know, yes. being silly and sarcastic and lying. But and- just another scene that taken out of context would have been, you know, what people would put in their Zutara AMVs. Yes, if you wanted to cut and splice this scene, you could take what, you know, out of context, what Katara says as being, you know, fire to, uh, or fuel to the fire for Zutara. Mm-hmm. But I want to point out to everybody that th- this was actually a very flirtatious Katang moment, <laughs> and it ends with her kissing him on the cheek and him getting all blushy. Yeah, so, you no. know... <laughs> Definitely all Zutara people would have just, like... Focused on that one yeah, part. Yeah, I was going to say, just completely deleted the last second of the episode from their memory. <laughs> they delete the first and the last part and they're just like, zoom in, enhance, you yep. know? <laughs> like that one quote. Mm, that's the good stuff. <laughs> that's all they need. Um, so yeah, there's some, you know, tongue-in-cheek Zutara happening, but really, like, it's Katang. It's always Katang. Um, so yeah, those are our kind of recap opinions. So I guess, is it time for my fast facts? Yeah, I've been sprinkling them a bit throughout this episode, because like I said at the beginning, there's a lot to go through, uh, but I still have a lot more. So here we are in fast facts. Um, so first off, this episode was written by Ian Wilcox, and it is the only episode of Avatar he ever wrote. Oh, I feel bad now. (laughs) I mean, again, he had, like, I understand that he probably was given this brief of, like, what the episode had to contain, Mm. but, uh... The writing was, like, as we said, kind of all over the place. Yeah. So I think that, like, after he wrote this one episode, they were like, okay, buddy, we're gonna take it back from here. Again, yeah. Sorry, Ian. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry. Maybe you got too many things put on your plate, but it just... He got thrown in the bus. Well, let's just say that. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Um, So the weapon that we see uh, at the very beginning of the episode is a whale's tooth uh, 
scimitar? Uh, scimitar, yeah. Scimitar. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, that curved shape. And one of the tongue-in-cheek jokes that they had from the Avatar extras was, note, staring at it too long can cause a flashback. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I think I went over all my sheer shoe facts. I'm going to skip those. Um, oh, wait, but there was one thing I wanted to say. Um... A sheer, the sheer shoe was almost called a blood vark instead, but they changed the name at the last minute. I like sheer shoe. Blood vark is a little too. Mm. Yeah, it, it was supposed to be a cross between a bloodhound and an aardvark. Okay. Yeah. So let's be thankful that edit was made. Uh, <laughs> uh, Aang uses a special breathing technique uh, that can help keep him warm even in the coldest weather. So when they're on the mm. beach at night, uh, he's using that to keep himself warm. Uh, the character of Sokka is voiced by Jack Decina. And notably, Jack even voices the young version of Sokka. Yeah, I definitely could tell that. It's just him, like, really closing his throat. Yeah. yeah I can feel it. Yeah, absolutely. So instead of doing the usual route of getting a different, like, child voice actor, they just... It the helps because they are, you know, still pretty close to children, so... Yeah, and it wasn't that long ago, so I get it. Um, so... This episode does talk a little bit about Hakoda, um, Sokka and Katara's dad, but notably they will not see their dad in person until the end of season two. That's what I was going to say. They don't see him at all in person in season one. I was trying to remember when they do see him. But at the it, very end of season two, season two is huh? when he actually okay. comes back. So he's not going to come back until then. Um, this Abbey, so this is a little bit of information about the setting of this episode. Mm-hmm. So this Abbey is located on the west coast of the Earth Kingdom, only miles away from Moses Sea. And the Moses Sea is an open body of water in the Avatar universe between the Western Earth Kingdom, Eastern Fire Nation, and the United Republic of Nations that is from Korra. So that's in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is connected to West Lake, which is um, southwest of Ba Sing Se. Also, the Moses Sea serves as a route for trading operations and is mostly notable for its location um, of Crescent Island being in the Moses Sea, um, which was once the site of the fire temple that you might remember mm-hmm. from the Winter Solstice right. episodes. Yeah. So we're, you know, this is a place that we've already visited um, earlier in the season. Um, also, it's uh, a seedy merchant's pier and an important black market trading center. Uh, the Moses Sea uh, experienced countless naval battles during the Hundred Year War and played host to a massive Fire Navy blockade aimed at keeping all outsiders from the Fire Nation waters. It also connects to Republic City, it's from Legend of Korra, uh, through an inlet known as Yue Bay, wherein Tenzin and his family will reside on Air Temple Island. So, they yeah. have Korra facts? Yeah, there's Korra facts. So it's just like the setting connects to the sequel. When did they do these Avatar extras? Oh, I guess I'm sorry. Cor- Some of that was from my deep dive. Oh. Yeah. The, the, the only fast fact was just like a little bit at the beginning about it being called the Moses Sea. And okay. then I just did a deep okay. dive. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I should have okay. prefaced right. that. Gotcha. Gotcha. I should have gotcha. prefaced that. Yeah. So um, I did a deep dive on that stuff. Um, so pass uh, to uh, other fast facts. Uh, stewed sea prune ingredients. If you ever wanted to make this at home. You need four cups of well-ripened sea prunes, two tablespoons of seaweed sprinkles, and one pot of boiling water, salt, and pepper to taste. Yeah. (laughs) Quite the struggle food. Um, The headdress that we see Aang uh, wearing briefly is used in what's called the Ice Harvest Ceremony. 
And I could not find any other information about it. I wonder if that's just something they made up on the spot, honestly. I don't know what an ice harvest is. Yeah, I guess they're just grabbing some ice. For their refrigerators? Their homes? Their igloos? Maybe. Hmm? Mm. Ah, making lore. Yeah, or maybe they harvest some ice and, like, sell it to merchants. Who knows? (laughs) And it kind of makes me wonder why he even brought it, honestly, but... Yeah. Anyway, you want some June facts? Yes, please. All right, June fact time. So, oh, I never talked about June. Like, oh my god. Yeah. Okay, well, this is the perfect time. Yeah. Well, like, uh, my when as soon as I heard June, I was just struck with like you know sensory memory, and I was like, I know that voice because uh, apparently I'm the voice actor guy in this in the show. Uh, but that is Jennifer Hale, who has just done so much, so much, so much in like three decades like she's been around the block can you give us some um, some name drops i think the most famous thing uh she was really wildly known for um being the female commander shepherd in the mass effect video game series mm. um i didn't know this until i looked it up but apparently she's just been the voice of cinderella ever since like the spinoff started happening uh so that's pretty cool yeah and she's just been in like literally everything. Like, literally oh, uh, everything. another big one that I liked. Excuse me. Another big one that I liked was that she's also the the voice of Samus in uh, the Metroid Prime games. Oh, so that, I thought that was pretty how cool. cool. Yeah, she tends to play these like badass like women. Is mm. generally perfect how for it this role, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Awesome. I love it whenever Kevin gets in on the fastback section because I feel like I'm just monologuing <laughs> all by myself. Hope you like the sound of my voice because I, I like a lot. the sound of your voice. Oh, that's sweet. Mm. I hope so. You have to hear it all the time in quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, but my June facts are all just about her character um, and not the voice actress. So June was designed after one of the crew members on Avatar, Lisa Yang. And I gotta her- look her up later. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to know listen. if she's as goth. Yes. Oh, man. One of the Avatar extras says that Lisa Yang has the same tattoos as June. Oh, my God. (laughs) I can't even believe it. So she's super cool. Um, And uh, her sheer shoes name is Nyla, which is named after Lisa Yang's Rottweiler. (laughs) Okay. That is is awesome. I know know it never comes up, but it's nice that they... Gave her that. So sweet, right? They must must have really liked her and thought Mm -hmm. she was super cool. A seeming nod to June's toughness could be seen in her barroom antics where she arm wrestled a man bearing striking resemblance to Ryu, the main protagonist of the Street Fighter series, which we mentioned earlier. That was from my deep dive, by the way. Um, A couple more of these extra facts are also from my deep dive on June. So these weren't like showing up in the Avatar extras. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, by the time Team Avatar met up with June, she and Nyla had been together for more than 17 years. June originated from the Earth Kingdom, where she spent her childhood traveling with her father, who was also a bounty hunter. It was from him that she adopted the tracking and fighting skills that she now employs. June's father received a sheer shoe from a rare animal collector in payment for a bounty, and he gave it to her as a gift. How old is that that critter? At least 17 years. Yeah. The sheer shoe became June's inseparable companion. Even though she kind of abuses it. Yeah. Well, she's a little bit more loving uh, the next time she shows up, Hmm. which I think is like in season three. Was that that late? I thought she shows up. 
No, I think it's season two. No, no. I, I think that the next time she shows up, like, Zuko asks for her help for, like, fighting against the Fire Nation. Hmm. Oh, I think that is true. But I, doesn't she also show up once, like, Zuko tries to hire, like, Combustion Man also? Let me look. Because they get, like, several mercenaries to start hunting after them. Okay, are people okay with, like, some spoilery stuff? At Summer's End... A reform Zuko and Team Avatar went in search of her, hoping to use her Shearshu to find the unaccounted for Aang. Initially, June was not interested until Zuko gave her some encouragement, mentioning the end of the world. However, Aang's scent could not be found, as if he did not exist. Instead, Zuko suggested they search for Iroh, hoping he would know. Uh, she soon led them outside the broken walls of Ba Sing Se, saying that Iroh was just on the other side of the large pile of debris, and with her job complete, she wished the group good luck before riding off. Hmm, interesting. I guess we'll look forward to that. Yes. So, um, but she actually is uh, pretty loving. And she actually shows up in the comics, too. That I knew. She yeah. shows up a lot more in the comics. She shows up in the comics and she helps Zuko with trying to track down his uh, long-lost mother. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, she's actually a pretty prominent character who I guess... Was Again, really- no time. There's no time. <laughs> she comes back later. She gets more development later. Um, so, those are my June facts. Uh, Katara's necklace was last seen six episodes ago. It's been six episodes mm-hmm. since she's had that necklace, so that's like almost half the season. In the episode, we see several point-of-view shots from the sheer shoe's perspective, and point-of-view shots are often used in scary movies. Yeah, I mean, it's very, like, predator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're really emphasizing that. Aang's ears can appear larger in emotional situations. His ears? His ears. Okay. His big ears. Um, So we see an Earth Kingdom messenger in this episode. Uh, Earth Kingdom messengers have one of the most difficult jobs in the Earth Kingdom army. They often travel hundreds of miles and even uh, through battles fronts to deliver messages. I mean, I understand, but uh, that guy needs to take a little bit more pride in that, I think. Maybe he's been working overtime. I guess so. He's He's like, this isn't even an Earth Kingdom thing. It's just a water tribe. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Miyuki, the cat that made a reappearance in this episode, is named after an Avatar cast member who has a special love for cats. That's nice. (laughs) Yes. This episode was directed by Giancarlo Volpe. Giancarlo's resume includes King of the Hill, dot, 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 and the Clone Wars. Mm. Quite the credit. So they they probably worked together before. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ice dodging was originally a test to see if a boy was ready to become a warrior. The black rock surrounding the village that we see was, if you remember, created by Aang in the previous episode in the fortune-telling village. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So sailing definitions that we see in this episode, the main sail, that's the really big sail. The jib is the smaller of the two sails. Mm -hmm. Uh, None designs in this episode were created by Angela Mueller. And I also found out that today Angela Mueller is uh, credited as Anger Mueller hyphen Hamilton. So she got married. (laughs) Okay. So if you're trying to look her up, just keep that in mind. Uh, she did a lot of character designs for the show. Katara's scent is visualized by the color purple. Sokka's scent would probably be green. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sokka identifies with the lone wolf character. In fact, his warrior paint from the flashbacks is designed after a wolf. Yeah, I mean, it's also like later on when we see their helmets also very wolf, mm-hmm. wolf shaped. So he's all about that wolf. Mm-hmm. But I like that they made that distinction in the episode where it's like a lone wolf isn't a lone wolf by choice, mm. you know, because in the real world, despite the stereotypes, a lone wolf is actually either separated from its pack or has been like ostracized. Yeah, thrown out. Mm-hmm. A sheer shoe's paralyzing tongue can stretch more than 30 feet. Yeah, I I could tell because that tongue did not quit. It mm-hmm. was all over the place. Oh, also on the note of, you know, June maybe like, yes or no, mistreating her animal. Mm-hmm. One of the Avatar extras said that the whip doesn't hurt the sheer shoe's uh, tongue skin. Okay. So it doesn't hurt him. I mean, she whips its body. <laughs> It said it doesn't hurt their tongue skin. I don't know why. I, I don't know when she whipped the tongue, but okay. <laughs> but it's a tool for giving commands. Mm. <laughs> um, showdowns between Zuko and Aang actually don't happen very often in the series. Uh, so this was done on purpose so that when they finally did meet, it would be super awesome. Yeah, I mean, this is probably one of the longer fights that they had. Mm-hmm. So it's usually a pretty quick, you know, tussle. Yes. Um, Iroh enjoys a nice cologne, and he also has sticky fingers. (laughs) Iroh did not care about this episode. Mm. He was like, I'm doing what I want. (laughs) He was just having a time, man. He was just along for the ride. Um, And then finally, my last fast fact is, as the series progresses, the writers wanted to show Aang's kung fu skills improving. I think... Look, we said this before throughout all these episodes. I think they did a great job of showing Katara, Sokka, and Aang growing in all sorts of manner, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we do get to see some growth happening in this episode, mm-hmm. um, as well as some looking to the past. But I think our overall takeaway is that there are good ideas in this episode mm-hmm. and things worth talking about. But all of it kind of put together for some reason just doesn't work. Right. I, I think this is a good episode and um, also a good example of just like... Not putting all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, you have 23, 24 minutes. You got to use them a little bit, a little bit smarter. Yeah. And this know? is where I think like, you know, proper editing is really key. Mm-hmm. Right. And I feel like this episode just didn't get the proper editing that it needed to. Again, I don't necessarily blame it on the writer. I think it's just like this was one of the episodes that had to serve a very specific function. Mm-hmm. And it was multiple very, functions. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it, it was hard to toe that line. Yeah. There was just so much they needed to get done. And mm-hmm. yeah, like the joke we've been making, it just, making this entire episode is that it just feels like they're like, we don't have time in the rest of the season mm-hmm. to talk about this stuff. So just do it all in this one episode. So, but those are my uh, opinions and facts that I have. Do you have any other ones? Yeah, I think the last thing I wanted to say was like thinking about it, um, the writers trying to show Aang growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess maybe that's why they had that one scene of Aang repeating Zuko's move, because mm. that doesn't seem like something he would have done early on in the show. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of learning from mm-hmm. his surroundings and from his rival. Yeah, taking a lesson that Iroh would teach Zuko way later in the show. Yeah, that he needs to be a little bit more observant. Yes. And kind of absorbing that kind of information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, sign-off time? 
Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, join us next time as we rewatch chapter 16, The Deserter. Next episode. Yep, yep. <laughs>